good to be still, Lord, and know that you are God. It's good to be uh, out of traffic. It's good to be uh, out of the office. It's good to be um, here, and it's good to be able to gather ourselves a little bit. kind of fight off all the events of the day. And kind of get our focus back a little bit. And be reminded of, uh, of what's uh, real in life and what is indeed important and what really counts. We're grateful for uh, a day that you've given to us. Maybe this day turned out a little bit differently than we anticipated when we got up this morning. But you have uh, sustained us and you have given us uh, what we have needed today. We, We thank you, Lord, that you oversee all the events of our lives. We thank you that there is not a detail that is uh, out of the realm of your control. And we thank you that you really do care about us and that not only have you created us, but you sustain us, you keep us going, you give us precisely what we need when we need it. You've been very gracious to us. Uh, We are not... um, We are not going through a dumpster tonight trying to find something to eat. And there are people in this country and in other countries that are indeed doing that. We haven't had to do that today. We thank you for that. We thank you for your provision. You have been good to us in ways that we don't even realize. So we want to... We want to uh, be grateful. We want to express that to you. Uh, Those of us that are married, we thank you for our wives. We thank you for a partner to go through life with. We thank you for commitment. We thank you for uh, that uh, pledge that keeps us through better or worse and richer or poorer, sickness and in health. And uh, help us, Lord, to express our appreciation to our wives uh, on normal days, not just on a Valentine's Day. We always count on you to teach us. We always count on your spirit to give us uh, what we need from the scriptures that we're looking at. And tonight would be no exception. We would ask that you would give us, each guy here, because each guy's coming from a different place, and each guy's got different stuff going on in his life. And uh, we've got some guys here that are pretty beat up today. They're just worn down from the battle. And we've got other guys that are doing pretty well, and they're grateful for that. But what we all have in common tonight is that we all need wisdom, and it only comes from your hand. So we seek you, and we seek you first. It's good to be still and think about that. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you'd turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. It was Winston Churchill who said, and, and he said a lot, but here's a nugget out of Churchill's life. Churchill said, it is a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link in the chain of destiny can be handled at a time. It's pretty good, and it's pretty wise. It is a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link in the chain of destiny can be handled at a time. Our, our lives um, are comprised of links in a chain. We'll talk about a chain of events. We all have them. Uh, you, you've got a chain in your life. I've got a chain in my life. Uh, we can look back and, uh, and we can see some of, the, uh, some of the links that are already in our chain that we're, we are aware of. Now, the Lord has links in our chain that we know nothing about. These are the future links that, that he will put in place, that he will add on uh, it, it, as we go through this, this road of life. Uh, in Psalm 139, the psalmist says, you've enclosed me behind and before. Um, so you look back on your life and you can see the hand of God. You look back on your life and you see the chapters of your life that God has already written. But um, God has already written chapters in your future that you can't see. Uh, these, these events in our lives don't happen randomly. They don't happen by chance. They don't happen by uh, fate. They happen by the providential hand of a good and caring God. The, the good stuff and the bad stuff. It was Job, when he lost everything, who made the, the statement, shall we accept prosperity from the Lord and not adversity? We should accept both. God has his foot on the accelerator of your life. And he also has his foot on the brake. And he's the one... He's the one that determines um, the, the speed of our journey. That's how big he is, and that's how sovereign he is. Last week we referred to a, uh, John Piper's phrase, which I think is tremendous, uh, of uh, the fact that at times we find ourselves in the unplanned place. You look around at your life right now, and you thought, I mean, you can't imagine that you'd be where you are, but you're, but you're there. That wasn't on your seven-year strategic plan. That wasn't on uh, the master plan that you might have put together for your life. And you're kind of stunned, and you're kind of shocked, and maybe you're still reeling from the events uh, that have put you where you are, because in your mind, you're in the unplanned place. And oftentimes, when we are in the unplanned place, uh, our lives are moving along at an unplanned pace. We wish things would speed up. Nothing's happening. 
in, in Job 39, what you've got, Job, in, in um, Genesis 39, what you've got going on here is uh, a new link has just been introduced into the life of Joseph. A new chapter has just been introduced into the life of Joseph. And it was one, believe me, that not, did not fit into his plan. Um, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. We'll just stop there and bring you up to speed. What we found out in uh, chapter 37 was that Joseph, his brothers were very jealous of him, uh, hated him um, for, for re- really reasons of jealousy, and saw an opportunity to get rid of him. They wanted to kill him, but what happened was Reuben came along, the, the oldest brother, and basically said, hey, don't kill him, but you know, let's just leave him in this pit. And while Reuben was away, they saw slave traders, and they got the idea, well, let's just sell this kid to the slave traders. We'll take his coat of many colors, um, which Dad didn't give to us, only gave to him. We'll dip it in blood, and we'll go tell Dad that he was uh, killed by an animal. And Dad will never know. And we'll get rid of him, and we'll make a few bucks in the process. Um, so here's this 17-year-old kid that suddenly, uh, his, I mean, his life was changed forever, forever. Uh, uh, imagine the ramifications of something like that. He'd never see his father again. Um, was there some girl that Joseph was sweet on? I mean, I don't know. I mean, people married early back then. Maybe there was, maybe there I, I don't know, I'm surmising here. But when you're 17 years old and, and your life takes such a drastic turn, uh, you could be 27, you could be 37, you, you could be 67. When life takes a turn like this, it is absolutely devastating. Uh, it, 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 it had to be just... Um, I, Joseph had to be absolutely perplexed by the events that had taken place in his life. Well, what he didn't know was that he was just entering into a new chapter, a a chapter in his mind that would take him to the unplanned place. But see, in actuality, it was a planned place, not planned by him, planned by God. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans not for welfare, but for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Uh, It sure didn't seem that way at the beginning of Genesis 39. But that's where Joseph was. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard. So this guy would have been perhaps the equivalent of uh, a very, very high-ranking official in the Secret Service. Uh, The bodyguard of Pharaoh... Those are elite men. The bodyguard of the um, uh, Roman emperors were the elite men. The uh, bodyguards uh, in the Roman Empire were, were called of the emperor were called the Praetorian Guard. Um, uh, the cream of the cream, the best of the best. You recall 
Paul saying um, to the church at uh, Philippi that my circumstances uh, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That clip over there, Philippians. It's interesting how often God's men wind up in prison. And for most of them, that's not in the master plan. That's an unplanned place. It doesn't have to be a literal prison. Sometimes it's just a prison of circumstances. But oftentimes in Scripture, it was a literal prison. In the Philippians 1, Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, how can that be since he's in prison? You take the most powerful preacher on the face of the earth and you lock him up, and he says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That doesn't make any sense. But he explains why he believes that in verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. The whole praetorian guard. You know, so could Paul go to Rome and say, uh, hey guys, you praetorian guard, you guys, let's, let's do a chapel service here once a week. They, they, they weren't in the chapel services. They didn't have a fellowship of Praetorian believers. You didn't have any Praetorian believers. These guys are just Roman pagans. They're the cream of the crop. They're the elite. They're the, the seals, the green berets, the Delta Force guys. Uh, somebody need to reach those guys. So what does, what does the Lord do? Well, you take Paul and you throw him in prison. And because he appealed to Caesar, he was being guarded by the very guys that guarded uh, the emperor. And they would, um, as Ray Stedman used to say, uh, these young, virile young men with great futures and uh, just living their good pagan life uh, would draw this disturbing duty because uh, they, would, they would be assigned uh, to this man, the Apostle Paul, and they would be chained to him for eight hours. Uh, notice that Paul would not be chained to them, they would be chained to him. If you were trying to lead a good pagan life, wouldn't that be disturbing to be chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours? I mean, that would be highly upsetting. Because here this man starts talking to you, and you can't get away from him. And he starts talking to you about the fact there is a God, and he had a son, and he sent his son into the world to die for your sin. Um, If you go to the end of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How in the world did that happen? There's the sovereignty of God. Um, Paul had friends in high places because he had a God that ran every high place. See, sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves in the unplanned place and it makes absolutely no sense. But God has something that we absolutely cannot see that he wants to do. So you got Joseph. He shows up in Egypt. Um, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. 
and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now that's, that's our text tonight. What we're going to see here uh, is, is that it's true what Churchill said. Uh, it is a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link in the chain of destiny can be handled at any time. You, you, number one, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So do, do, you, do you make some rough plans? Yeah, but make sure they're rough. Because you really don't know what's going to come about. You really don't know what the future holds. You really don't know what God has in mind. Uh, what you know is what you've got right in front of you. And that's pretty much it. What we're going to see here in the life of Joseph, and, and, and we have to remember this. this. This was a devastating blow to this young man. He finds himself in Egypt in the unplanned place. But as he is in this unplanned place, there is an invisible hand that is all over him. Now this is what happens to us when we find ourselves in the unplanned place. When we find ourselves in circumstances we never imagined that we would be in. When we find ourselves dealing, with, ourselves dealing with issues that we never in our lives thought we'd be dealing with, what we tend to forget because it's so foreign, it's as foreign to us to be in those circumstances as it was foreign for Joseph to be in Egypt. He was in a foreign land. He was in a foreign country. Well, sometimes we find ourselves in foreign circumstances, and we are out of our comfort zone. When when you have to live in another country, it's uncomfortable because you don't know the language. Uh, it's, it's different food. If you go and live in Japan, it's not, uh, uh, it's not chicken fried steak and white gravy. It's, uh, it's raw fish. There's just something wrong with that. That's very foreign to us. Um, you know, they drive the wrong direction. I, 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 one of the things I found interesting, I've been in England, especially in London, when, when at, at any intersection in London, when you're going to cross, they've got written... Right on the street, as you look, as you look on the street, it's written for Americans. Uh, traffic is coming, whatever direction. I can't remember which way, but you know, they've had so many Americans step out to cross the street. Gee, nobody's coming. That's because they're coming the other way, bozo. <laughs> it's a foreign country. They do it wrong. It's not what we're used to. And, and what happens is sometimes that happens to us in life. And you, and, and you haven't moved. You're not in a foreign land, but you are in foreign circumstances. 
But the hand of God is as much upon you in foreign circumstances as he is when you are in comfortable circumstances. And both are necessary for him to do the work that he wants to do in our lives to mature us and develop us so that we can do the work which he has planned for us. We're going to see the sovereignty of God here in every verse in this account of this uh, unplanned place in Joseph's life. In verse 1, we're going to see that God was sovereign over his placement. God was sovereign over his placement. We'll read it again. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh. The captain of the bodyguard brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Uh, Pharaoh is mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 39. In Joseph's life, Pharaoh had become a very key uh, figure and a very key co-worker. They worked hand in glove. Uh, basically, Joseph would become equal to Pharaoh. Now, what's interesting, and once again, Joseph, Joseph had never read Genesis. Joseph is just showing up. All he knows is he's, he's a young kid. He's 17 years old. He is, uh, uh, he's finished. He's done. His life is over. He's going to be a slave for the rest of his life. They put him on the block, and by chance, this guy Potiphar is the one who purchases him. Now, the great thing about God is that there's no chance with God. Thank you for that. You were predestined to say that. <laughs> there is, is that not true? Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. It's Psalm 139, you see? So God knows, God knows all things. And as we've said many times in here, God runs all things. Nothing is a shock. Nothing is a surprise. There are no accidents. God is in charge of everything. You say, well, evil happens. Evil does happen. God uses evil for his purposes. It's amazing to me that Jesus was the Lamb of God before sin ever existed. Peter says he was the Lamb of God from before the foundations of the world. That's pretty wild, isn't it? I mean, I think it's wild. He was the Lamb before there was sin. He was the sacrifice before there was need of a sacrifice. You know what it tells me? You know what that tells me? That tells me that God purposed that. Now, now how, do we, how, how do we explain that? We don't explain it. Uh, when you really read the scriptures and you read them clearly, you, you find all these things that just really put you in tension, that really make you uncomfortable. And so what we do is we start flipping around and we, try, we start trying to explain all this stuff. You can't explain that. So, so well, wait, wait a minute. He was the Lamb of God before the foundation of the world. Sin hadn't even occurred. He was a sacrifice before there was sin. So why didn't God just stop the whole thing? Because he didn't want to. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Oh, you're very astute. 
It doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me. It made sense to him. It's his plan. See, that just doesn't add, we don't quite get it. Most of the time in life, we don't get it. We just don't get it. It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. So Dobson writes a book, a great book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, which is fairly often. That's why Isaiah 55.8 is such a foundational passage for the Christian life. My ways aren't... Can you guys hear me? I'm sorry. I'm getting very uh, Pentecostal up here. I'm really not. I've seen some guys really go after it. But um, God says, my ways are not your ways. That's one worth memorizing. Just, just, just put it in the frontal lobe. Just tattoo it on your forehead. My ways are not your ways. You know, that just really helps. He tells us up front. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. It's not always going to add up to you. It doesn't doesn't have to add up. Not if you know him and you know his character. Because what he's going to do with the good and the bad and the ugly, what he's going to do is he's eventually going to turn it for your good, and all of it, and he's going to turn it to your advantage. And you're sitting there going, well, how's he going to? Now, if someone had said that to Joseph right here in Joseph, if someone had said that to, to Joseph in, in uh, 39 verse 1, what, what would Joseph be thinking? Yeah, right. Yeah. Could he have imagined what God had in store for him? No. Could. And that's why there's, was it Ephesians 1? Ephesians 1, now to him who was able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or think. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever seen the Lord do exceeding, but not just abundantly beyond what you could ask or think? And see, some of us have really phenomenal imaginations. Some of us are real visionaries. You're a wuss. I'm a wuss. We think we've got vision. We don't know snot about vision. He does. You see? What he loves to do at times when we would just least expect it is to do abundantly. How does that go now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly? Abundantly is a lot. But he doesn't do it just a lot. He does it exceeding abundantly beyond anything. Now catch this. Beyond anything you could ever ask or think. Have you ever had God do that in your life? Well, just keep walking with him and wait and watch him. At some point, it's going to happen. And our first thought is, oh, no, that's it's not going to happen. It will happen. That's what he does. See, God was sovereign in Joseph's placement. Placement. I I wish we could know what that auction was like. 
I wonder if there were several guys that saw Joseph, and he was a young guy, he was in shape, and he, you know, took care of himself. And uh, I wonder if a couple guys said, hey, you know what, I could use a young stud like that. I could put that guy to work back there. I got, man, I want to clear out those 40 acres. I could put that kid to work and working from early in the morning to late at night. You know, I, I, was somebody bidding against Potiphar? I, I don't know. But see, uh, Potiphar was the one who bought him, and the reason that Potiphar bought Joseph was that really um, God is the one that gives you your assignment. God is the one that oversees your placement. At all times, he oversees the placement of your life, the position of your life. Uh, this is going to come into play later, that it was Potiphar, because because. Potiphar was a high-ranking government official. We know the story. And later, when Joseph is falsely accused, he's thrown into a dungeon. What kind of dungeon? A dungeon right there in Pharaoh's immediate circle. You know, he he was thrown in the brig right there in, in Pharaoh's domicile. Why? Because that's what Potiphar was part of. Now, he didn't know any of this, but God certainly knew about it. So God was sovereign over his placement. Sometimes we question if God is sovereign over our placement. When you've been unemployed for a while, God's, what's going on here, Lord? What's going on? And we don't understand that. We don't understand the timing. We're having to wait. We're having God sovereign over that. In verse 2, we see that God was sovereign over his prosperity. Now, slaves are not supposed to be prosperous, are they? No. But catch this. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful, or literally, he became a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So this Egyptian is the master, and Joseph is the slave, but Joseph becomes prosperous. The blessing of God was upon Joseph's life. Um, that's, where all, that's where all prosperity and that's where all blessing comes from. Now, we got a lot of yo-yos running around in Christian television, and all they talk about is prosperity. All those guys, they got, they, they, they got about four passages they teach out of the Bible. They don't know the rest of it there. Because that's all they know was prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. That's all these guys know. Um, Deuteronomy 8 tells us where our prosperity comes from. And we're all prosperous in here. If you don't believe that, go to Haiti for a week. And uh, you'll change your perspective on prosperity. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, chapter 8. How come I can't find this? Page 260. Thank you. It's very helpful. I love that spiritual gift of confusion. Deuteronomy 8, 18. These guys are going to go into the land. Now, this is years and years later. This is like four or 500 years later after Joseph. 
They're going to go into the land. They're going to go into the promised land. Moses has led them out. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But Moses is about to die, and Joshua's going to take over. And so he's speaking to them as they're finally going to go into the land. And let's pick it up at... uh, Let's pick it up at 8.11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. There's a danger in prosperity. And the danger is, you think you did it. And the danger is you think you pulled it off. And the danger is you think you're so cotton picking smart. And you think you're such a brilliant businessman. Now, you may be a brilliant businessman. But where did you get the ability to be a businessman? Where, where, where did you get that ability to, uh, um, to meet with people and to figure out what's going on in their minds and when you're making a sales presentation, to be able to read them and read what is not being said. Not everybody can do that, but, you, but if you're gifted in that way, you can do it. Where'd you get that ability? And you can say, oh, yeah, you know, I can do that. Yeah, 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 you can do it. Where'd you get it? See, verse 17, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. No, it didn't. Verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you enjoy, and, and yeah, you've worked hard. But, but um, he gave you the gifts, he gave you the ability to reason, he gave you the ability to think, he gave you the ability to figure, he gave you the ability to think ahead. All those things come from his hand. So we look at Joseph, and he was prosperous. Why was he prosperous? Well, it's very clear in verse 2, because the Lord was with him. Now, if you look at beginning with verses 4 through 6, back in Genesis 39, we're going to see that not only was God sovereign over his placement, not only was God sovereign over his prosperity, but God was sovereign over Joseph's promotions, his promotions. And, and we're going to see some promotions here. Let's, um, let's read it from let's read it from verse four. Actually, we've got to pick it at three, because something happens in three. Now, his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight. In whose sight? Potiphar's sight. Joseph's the slave. Potiphar is the master. But Joseph finds favor. And as a result, here's a promotion. Joseph became his personal servant. Not just one of the guys. Not one of the guys in the chain gang. Not one of the guys out there pouring blacktop in July. Joseph became his personal assistant. Joseph became his right-hand guy. 
Joseph became his confidant. Joseph became uh, his trusted <coughs> right-hand man. That is a promotion. Here's another promotion. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. I take that to mean that uh, uh, Joseph could sign checks. Uh, Joseph made decisions. Joseph was administrating this guy's personal domain. Uh, verse 5, it came about from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed, now catch this, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. That's what you call trust. Joseph had a key to the safe. Joseph could sign the checks. Joseph ran QuickBooks on the computer. Joseph ran this guy's whole deal. Uh, He didn't start there, did he? Do you think, did he start at the top? I'm sure he started at the bottom, just as uh, everybody does. I mean, he was a kid. He was young. But, but what began to happen is that he began to be promoted. Now, here's another one. As we, as we stand back and look at this, what occurred in Joseph's life, here's the fourth observation. God was sovereign over Joseph's preparation and his position. God was sovereign over his preparation and his position. Uh, Let's go back to promotion for a minute. Where does promotion come from? Psalm 75. Turn over there real quick. Are you working hard? Good. Are you hoping you're going to get a good review? Good. Um. Psalm 75, verse 6. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation or promotion. But God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts another. Ultimately, promotion comes from the Lord. That's where it comes from. Um, You say, well, gosh, hey, not where I work. No, even where you work, promotion comes from the Lord. No, these guys are the biggest bunch of reprobates you've ever seen in your life. That may be, but guess what? God runs those guys. God runs everything. See, this is where we've got to look and see who our God really is. Your hand, your life, your career is not in the hands of other people. Oh, this guy really likes me. Great. This guy hates my guts. So what? He's not calling the shot. Oh, he's really a strategic individual. No, he isn't. 
No, he isn't. He breathes because God lets him breathe. That's how it is with all of us. God oversees everything. God runs everything. So you're laid off? You want to know the truth? He laid you off. That's how it works. They laid me off. Yeah, but the reason they laid you off is he wanted you laid off. He's always had trouble with that. That shouldn't be trouble. That ought to be a comfort to you. Because you see, sometimes what God wants to do is, God wants to, you, you, you really like the link that you're in. You really like how life is looking. You like all that. But see, what God has for you is something different in the next stage. The next link is really strategic. But we get real comfortable because we like where we are. And we want everything to stay the same. So what has to happen is that God has to take it away from us because what he's got a couple of links down is better than anything we could ever think or imagine. But we're so short-sighted and so comfortable where we are that we would never do what it takes to get to that other link. So God's got to take it away from us. That's why Corey Tim Boom said, I've learned to hold very loosely the things which God gives to me. Because when it takes it away and I hold it loosely, it doesn't hurt as much. As when you're holding on real tight. You see, Joseph loved where he was, and all his brothers were a bunch of jerks. But, I mean, he, he didn't want to go in any foreign country. He wanted to stay where he was. God took that away from him. He said his brothers did that to him. Yeah, I know his brothers did it to him. But there was an invisible hand, as he acknowledged later. Um, promotion comes from the Lord, Psalm 75 says. Now, here's the deal. When we pull back and we look at the events of, of, of his life, we see that God was sovereign over his preparation and his position. Uh, all these P's, his placement, his prosperity, his promotion, all this stuff, the hand of God was on him. The hand of God was running the show. It, it, it was God that was taking him at the pace which God had determined to get him to the ultimate position that God had in mind for him. He knows nothing of this. He's just living his life. See, Joseph's position, catch this, Joseph's position in Potiphar's house was part of his preparation for the future work that he was going to do. What was it Joseph was eventually going to do? He was going to administrate. He was going to oversee. He was going to delegate. There was great crisis, and he had to learn how to work with people, and he learned, had to learn how, how to budget, and he had to learn how to manage. You know, What, do you just throw a guy into the top spot of a nation? No. He's got to be prepared. So the Lord sovereignly has him uh, purchased by Potiphar. The Lord's with him. Potiphar sees this, says, I can trust this. He's pretty good at this. He's pretty good at that. He's pretty good with people. He's, now, where'd Joseph get all those gifts? From the Lord in his mother's womb. But as he's trying his hand, it's good, it's working. Potiphar, he's got character. Potiphar says, I can trust this guy. God was preparing him. God was getting him ready. God was giving him experience. 
You see? See, Joseph here in Genesis 39 is overseeing Potiphar's house. But soon he would be overseeing Pharaoh's nation and entire economy. But this was the link that had to happen before he ever got there. Now, here's what's interesting to me about Joseph. Joseph knew none of this. Joseph knew about none of the future links. So Joseph could have been purchased by Potiphar. And you know what could have happened to Joseph? Here's what could have happened to Joseph. Joseph could have been so distraught and, and, and so disappointed and so um, I want to say disappointed. I got it, Lou, thanks. He could have been so disappointed with God that some things could have happened in his life. It would have made sense. Um, See, there was such devastation that occurred in Joseph's life that when he was in Egypt and now he's working for Potiphar, you know what could have happened to him? His focus could have been primarily on his past and everything that had been taken from him. But I don't think that happened. Somehow, Joseph was able to transition. You know, the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. There's great wisdom to that. The past is the past. There's nothing you can do about it. We all have regrets. We all have things we wish we could go back and change. We all have things we wish we could go back and repair. We all have things we wish we could go back and fix. We all wish that things were different. You know what? That's wasted energy. Worrying over the past, worrying over who has wronged you, uh, over who has taken advantage of you, uh, worrying about who has misrepresented what you have said. All that stuff is absolute. Um, as, as the scripture says, water under the bridge. <coughs> Just making sure you're paying attention. That's not in the scripture, but that's true, isn't it? Uh, you can't cry over spilt milk. It's over. It's done with. It's, uh, you know, sometimes there's wisdom in the world. That, that is just, if, if you're going to let what has happened, which is over and done with, if you're going to let that be your focus, I mean, here you are in the present, okay? If your energy, see, when you're consumed with what has occurred and there's nothing you can do to change that, that is absolute wasted energy. I don't see that Joseph did that. I don't see that Joseph spent a lot of time um, I don't see he wasted a lot of time uh, complaining. So well, how do you know that? Does it say that? It doesn't say that. But have you noticed that people that complain a lot uh, get good reviews at work? 
And have you noticed how people that complain a lot, how they get promoted quickly? I haven't noticed that, have you? I haven't. See, there's something that tells me that God did a work in Joseph's heart and in his spirit because I don't see, see, when you see promotion and you see favor, that t- here's what I think about Joseph. I think Joseph didn't waste a lot of time uh, thinking about revenge on his brothers. I don't think Joseph spent a lot of time murmuring about what had happened to him. The children of Israel got into trouble. Do you remember when they started to uh, murmur? Do you remember that? They began to murmur and they began to complain. Flip over to Philippians again, if you would. Philippians 2. We, we are told by the Apostle Paul, and once again, Paul was in prison here, not in the greatest circumstances himself. In, in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I think Joseph did that. Uh, I, I, think, I think Joseph was not poisoned with bitterness, and he could have been. See, when bitterness is your deal, you're focused on the past and what's happened. When you're murmuring, what you're talking about is what you used to have and you don't have anymore. When you're complaining, oftentimes, see, that's just, it's just sheer wasted energy. Uh, Joseph's focus could have been on the past and all that had happened. Uh, Joseph could have been jealous. See, jealousy happens. We get jealous of people whose circumstances are better than ours. I'm sure he thought about his brothers. I'm, I'm sure he thought about what was happening to them. I'm sure he thought about the, the fact that uh, you know, his father was prosperous and all the good things that were happening to them. And, the, and, and, and he doesn't have any. I mean, it's understandable. He'll never see him again. He'll never see his dad again. Joseph's focus could have been on his past, but Joseph put his energy into the present. And I'm basing all this on the fact that he found favor with Potiphar. You say the Lord is with him. Sure the Lord is with him. Listen, when the Lord's with somebody, they're not bitter. When the Lord's with somebody, he's doing a work in their heart. And they don't complain and they don't murmur. When you have those things, when I have those things in my life, it tells me I'm out of step with the Lord. I'm out of step with, what he's, uh, with his sovereignty. Instead of taking a step back, and saying, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness to me. Is this a disappointing, is this a difficult situation? Yes, it is. And, and hey, listen, let's, let's be honest here. There's a grieving period sometimes in our lives. When there's significant loss, I mean, when there's physical death, a spouse or a child, you, you don't get over that overnight. You don't jump in the Christian microwave and, and, uh, and punch up, you know, you know uh, uh, closure in three minutes. You're going to struggle with that. There is a normal grieving period that we go through when there's significant loss in our life. And, and we're just people. We're just, you got to assimilate it. You got to work it out. But there's a point where you got to give it up. And there's a point where you got to move on. And there's a point where you step back and you say, Lord, I know you're sovereign in my life. And you allowed whatever that was, you allowed that to happen in my life for a reason. And I'm going to trust you. So I'm not going to waste my energy trying to go back. Well, what if this? Forget that stuff. 
Where are you now? What, is he, what has he given you to do now? Where are you now? What, are your, what link are you in now? Joseph put his energy into the present. If you're still in Philippians, just turn to the right and go to Colossians. And you'll see in Colossians 3, verse 23, you'll see what it is that Joseph did. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Uh, that, that can be translated, whatever you do, do your work from the soul. As for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So who do you work for? What kind of work do you do? Ultimately, you're working for the Lord. It's the Lord you're serving. But once again, if all your energy is in the past and you're thinking how you were wronged and you know your rights were taken away from you, all that stuff, you're in the past, man. You can't function. You can't be productive. God's put you there for a reason. So whatever it is you do, what do you do? And it's not, did Joseph want to be a slave? No. But you know what he did? He got a hold of himself, and he started pouring his energy into doing what he was supposed to be doing. Whatever you do, do your work from the soul. Do your work from the gut. You're not working for men. You're working for Christ. So as best you can, you're not going to hit this every day 100%, but as best you can, you say, Lord, I'm serving you here. I'm serving you. You might be overqualified where you are. You might be bored where you are. Lord, give me, give me just help me here. This is not what I want, but help me to trust you. Help me to, help, help me to see this as preparation. I, help me to trust you. Help me to be faithful. What's required of a steward is that he be found what? Faithful. So you show up, you punch in, and you do your work to his glory. It's boring. He knows it's boring. He knows that. I'm not challenged. He knows you're not challenged. He knows that. Okay. All right. Just be honest. Lord, I'm bored. He knows that. So when you're in the unplanned place and where you're not, it's not where you want to be, so the question would be, okay, so maybe I'm, I'm bored and maybe it's, I'm not real challenged. Uh, I get the sense that Joseph was enormously gifted. Do you kind of get, pick that up? I do. I, I'm sensing this guy was a first-round draft choice. And he starts off with the other guys, and then he's probably cleaning latrines. But he who's faithful and little will be faithful in what? much yeah so what do you do when you're in this Genesis 39 situation where you really don't want to be uh, what do you do go to John chapter 8 you say well when you're bored how do you how do you keep going after it and when you're worn out how do you keep showing up and I mean how do you keep doing what you really don't want to be doing and how do you keep being faithful I mean I mean what do you do when life's really not the way you want it to be and and yeah from time to time you remember that the Lord's preparing you and but you're tired of waiting on I mean how do you get the right attitude instead of being bitter uh, 
how do you pray for somebody instead of um, resenting them? How, how, how do you, John 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, and what did he say? Here's what he said. If you continue in my word. Did you get that? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We always run to, and the truth will make you free. But, but how do you get there? How do you get to the truth will make you free? Well, and you break that thing up, and what, what does it say? If you continue in my word. It doesn't say if you read it six months ago. It's pretty hard to have a good attitude at work when you, and you read the Bible six months ago. So you continue in it. What do you do? How do you, keep a, how do you keep a bright perspective? How do you keep a right attitude? How do you keep a, uh, from getting better? You, you know what you do? You, you continue in his word. Why is the emphasis in this church always on this book? Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Jesus didn't say, if you have this experience, or if you have this experience, or if you have this experience, or if you go have this, or if, or, uh, you know, where the Lord said to me and the Lord said to me. Every time I turn around, somebody's saying the Lord said to them. But, but you know what I know? I know that if I read this book, I got a word from the Lord. Why would I need something that is subjective when I get this book? I'm not saying God doesn't lead us through circumstances and through encouragement of people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you know, I had a word from the Lord. You mean you read your Bible? What? No, it was, it was as though the Lord spoke to me. He speaks to me every morning when I open up this book. I'm not dismissing that God can't lead us circumstantially, but if that's all you got, you don't have anything. That might have been the pizza you ate last night. If you continue in my word, you got, do, you see, do you see how this works? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples. And that's the point. He wants to make us disciples so that he can use us and put us in the place that he has for us so that we can do the work that we are called to do and he's preparing for that. But there's no way of getting there unless you continue in his word. And that's how you not lose heart. So, Lord, we thank you for the word. No shortcuts around it. We can't live without it. It sustains us. It gives us nourishment. It gives us life. Some of us have closed our Bibles. We get, we've got to open them again. And we just stay with it. We just continue in your word. And you continue to work in our lives. As you did with Joseph. We pray these things in Jesus' name.